there was a, a time, maybe, maybe we're still in that time, <clears throat> when uh, mission statements were really popular, like everybody had a mission statement for their organization or their church, or uh, people were encouraged to write mission statements for themselves, for their own life. If you had to uh, um, distill your life into one message, like this is the message I want my life to communicate, this is the thing I want my life to to say this is the theme this is the slogan this is the hashtag however you want to do it this is my thing some of us had parents who had a thing right they said it to us over and over and over again it was burned into our brains some of you are thinking of that thing that your dad always said or your mom always said if you had a thing what would that thing be you most want to communicate we're reading through first john which is close to the end of your bible if you want to go ahead and find it we're in chapter two we're, reading, we're studying through 1 John, and John had a thing. He had one message above all other messages that he wanted to communicate. There's a, a story uh, that's been passed down through church history, church tradition. It's not in the Bible, but it's been passed down through church tradition that says when John, this John that we're studying, when John was of, of such advanced age that he couldn't walk into church anymore. He had to be carried into church. And so his friends would carry him into church and down the aisle, because everybody knew John, he was kind of a famous guy, carry him down the aisle. And as he came down the aisle, he would reach out his hand towards people and say, dear children, love one another. Dear children, love one another. This is the only thing he said. He would be asked at times to come to the front and say a word or to say something before they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And guess what John said? Every time he was asked to do this, he would say, dear children, love one another, love one another. This was his thing. This was his theme over and over again. And finally, somebody said, John, why do you keep saying that? We got it. Love one another. Why do you keep saying the same thing? And John said, because this is the Lord's command. And if it is obeyed, it's sufficient. Which is what Jesus said. That's kind of where John got it from, right? Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? How do, you, how do you distill it down to one idea? And Jesus said, well, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second greatest thing is love your neighbor as yourself. And John said, ah, I'm going to steal that. And that was John's thing the rest of his life. Love one another. Love one another. And we, we were studying last week um, that John was encouraging us to obey, but specifically John highlighted disobedience of love. Love your brother and sister. That's how you know you're in the light and not in the darkness because if you, if you hate other people, you're in the darkness. The sign that you're walking with Jesus, you're in the light, is that you love. Jesus said, the world's gonna know you're my disciples because you love one another. This is the hallmark of who you are. At the same time, as we'll see today in chapter two, John was keenly aware that love can go wrong sometimes, right? We can love the wrong things. Love can get weird sometimes, right? Wouldn't you agree? Love can get weird sometimes. Uh, if you're o over the age of 20, you probably can look back at some point in your past when love just got weird. Like you were like, you thought you loved somebody. You thought you were in love. You thought this is the thing. This is it. They're the one. This is forever. And you look back now and go, whew, dodged a bullet, right? Oh, man, that, whoo, that would have been bad news if that whole thing had kept going. Right? That, 
John has this concern. The love is the greatest. Love is wonderful, but our affections, because we're human, our, our affections get weird sometimes. Like they take us in, in the wrong direction. If a young person is important to you, like they're in your life, especially if they're teenage years, um, one of your greatest concerns, if you're the parent of somebody in that demographic, uh, one of your greatest fears is where what they think is love might lead them. Right, that they get all wrapped up in somebody and you know this ain't the right somebody. I ain't even been praying for that person. That is not, <laughs> that is not who I've been asking God for. Right, and as part of the anxiety you feel as a parent, parenting through that stage is because our heart gets fooled so easily. Right? Some, of, some of our kids, we know, some of our friends, they love fast and they love big. Right? So you may have a child like that. They love really fast, they love really big, and they're all in right from the beginning. And you're just like, oh, God, please don't, please don't let this go bad. Please don't let them pick the wrong. Please guard their heart. The Bible talks about, uses that sort of language because our affections can, can be put in the wrong places and on the wrong people. If, those of you who, who dedicated the sweet little ones up here this month, I'm just telling you, it's really fun to parent them through that stage that you're going to get to one day. I don't mean to encourage you so much today, but that, that is like a frightening thing as a parent because you know the heart just gets fooled. Our affections get played sometimes. John has that concern in all of his encouragement to love in all of his encouragement to love one another, in the back of his mind, he also knows, okay, this could go sideways. Like There's, there's a negative to this. I, I didn't bring that up. I'm not going to sort out the whole romantic love thing. All right, That's not today. That's another tie. I just brought that up to make parents anxious, actually. But <laughs> I think it's an illustration of a different thing that John's talking about. Right? We identify with, I've loved the wrong person before. I've, I thought this was forever, and it wasn't for. I've done that before. I know people have done that before. That's an illustration of a concern that John has And here's John's concern, 1 John chapter 2, we're in verse 15. John writes, after telling us to love one another, John writes, 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Do not love the world, John says, or anything in the world. Anything. Now, what, is, what does that mean? Are we supposed to go around hating everything and everybody? There's some people you follow them around. You think that's probably them, right? They kind of hate everything and everybody. And that's not what John's saying. He's not saying you're everything in the world. There's a specific use of the world that John is trying to get at. Let's talk about what it's not. Let's talk about what he doesn't mean. When John says, don't love the world, the world doesn't mean the people in the world. That's not what he's saying. He's not, because he's already told us to love the people in the world, right? He's, I know John is, you know, he, he's a little back and forth sometimes, but, but he's not changing his mind here. He's not talking about the people in the world. He's told us to love the people in the world. Jesus tells us to love the people of the world, right? He talks about that a lot. John in his gospel writes one of the most famous verses, John 3.16, that says, for God so loved the world. 
It's the same word, actually. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God, Jesus, they love people. So the world doesn't mean the people in the world. Also, the world does not mean the created universe. Isn't it like we're not supposed to hate the planet. We're not supposed to hate nature. God, God created the universe and said it was good. Right? This is a good thing. I'm giving it to you. I'm handing this off to you. He says to Adam, like, I want you to protect it. Right? In my, my translation, God said, hey, I made this great place. Don't screw it up. Right? That, was, that was what God said to Adam, essentially. We can debate whether we failed at that or not, but... God sees the created universe as a really good thing that actually reflects His character. And we learn things about what God is like by creation, by the world, uh, by nature. We, we've been given the job of taking care of it and, and managing it wisely. You're not supposed to hate the created world. I'm not even sure how you would do that, uh, actually. Like, nobody dro drives to the mountains and goes, I just hate this. A mountain like well, that one's bigger than that one I just hate that I hate the way this whole thing works it's just not I, how would nobody does that you don't go to the beach you go oh there's waves just one right after another oh, so annoying I hate this you never watch the sunrise or a sunset and go oh gosh this is awful I hate it like he's not talking about the created world. The created world's a good thing. We're supposed to steward it. We're supposed to manage it. He's not talking about people. What does he mean? What is the world that we're supposed to hate? What is that? Here's my definition. Here's my words to try to help us get at what John's talking about. The world, in the way John's using it. The world means the constant tendency of our experiences in this life to pull us away from God constant tendency of our life experiences the things we engage in the, the transitions we go through <clears throat> there is a constant tendency <clears throat> in what we experience in the world to be pulled away from God and to make other things more important than God there's a current if you want to think of it that way there's a current that is tugging at us all the time to make God less important in our life. To, to downplay our affections for our Heavenly Father and build up affections for other things besides Him. Do not love the world. Do not love this current that's going to all, your whole life experience here on earth, it's going to always be trying to pull you away from God. He uses the word darkness as a, as a, a, a metaphor for evil. There's a darkness in the world. There's a, the Bible says it's, there's a being that exemplifies this darkness. We call it the devil, right? There's this evil at work in the world. There is a darkness at work in the world, and that darkness has one goal. Jesus said the one goal was to steal, kill, and destroy. It wants to wreck your life. This darkness wants to wreck you, your relationships, your future, your potential, your eternal life, everything about you. This darkness wants to mess up. And you will never escape the pull of this darkness while you're in this world. This, this current's just always running. It's always running. It's always pulling at you, trying to get you away from the things of God. We see it in different stages of life. This is not the only way we see it, but 
You can see it as people pass through different stages of their life. Teenagers get their driver's license, and suddenly there's all these other things that start pulling them from God. They've got a little bit of freedom. I think students graduate, and they... They go to college or they step into a career or they, whatever their move is after high school, very often we see this current just kind of comes in and washes them out, like pulls them away from God. Not all the time, but that tug is there. Young adults, they're out of college, they got freedom, right? They're in their job and there's just this tug. They have their, have their child Right, have their child, and life gets busy and hectic and wrapped around, and it, there's just this pull. Their kids become teenagers, right? start signing them up for this and that and everything. We're traveling, and we do all of that stuff. Okay, travel ball's not a sin. I'm not saying it's a sin. I'm just saying there's this, maybe it's a sin. There's this tug, right? There's this current. There's this, it's, it's always there. It's always there. The thing may not be a bad thing, but there's this current. Empty nesters. Right, woohoo, freedom! Right? Show our kids it's time for us to party. Right, and there's just this tug. Retirement, there's just this tug. It never goes away. No matter how old or young you are, it never goes away. There's just this pull away from God. John says, "You, you have to distance yourself so much from that. You have to fight against that so much. It should look like you hate that. You should hate what this world could do to you." You should hate how far away from God the things of this world could take you. Don't. I I have people in my extended family who have been pulled into addictions and tragic and difficult things. And I love them. I don't hate them. I hate the current that swept them into these things. I hate them. My heart breaks for them. I love them. I want to see them rescued and re- But I hate anything that steps into somebody's life and sweeps them away from the things of the Lord. Yeah, that's what John's saying. You, you got to hate this current that's trying to pull you away. And he defines it a little more in verse 16. He says, for everything in the world, in other words, everything in this current, everything in this current, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he gives three examples comes not from the Father, but from the world. It comes from the darkness that's here. It's not coming from God. It's pulling you away from the things of God. But but the, the power of this current is it always presents things that we want. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. I see it and I want it. We hear the term lust and we think kind of in a sexual direction. It includes that, but it just includes anything that I see and I go after with my whole life and causes me to forget about God. It it appeals to the things I want. It appeals to my selfishness, my self-centered nature, my, my desire to build my whole life around me. The pride of life is what John says. It looks like something I want. Right? Isn't that the way bad decisions are? Bad decisions never look like bad decisions to the people who are making them. Right? If they looked like a bad decision, they wouldn't make that decision. Bad decisions never look like bad decisions to the person who's making them. That's what John's saying. You're going to want some things. You're going to get drawn towards some things, and your heart and your affection is going to be misled. You've got to hate this current. You've got to 
be cautious of this tendency of your affections to get turned away from God. You gotta hate that. If you ever vacation at the beach, which I highly recommend, um, in the room where you stay, there may be a pamphlet or <clears throat> on the local access beach station, there will usually be a program that's orienting you to the beach uh, and specifically to the dangers of, of the ocean. Uh, so the, it will tell you what the different flags mean, like the lifeguard chair, what's a green, what's a yellow, what's a red, what's a blue, what's a purple, what's a double red. Um, it, it'll tell you so when you go out, you'll know the conditions of the beach that particular day. And then normally... That pamphlet or the, the television show, it will warn you about riptides, right? We're familiar with riptides. Uh, it's a, this current that you don't really see. You don't really know it's there. You're looking at the ocean. You don't really see it. But, but underneath the surface, a current is sweeping back out into the ocean. And so usually there's this explanation of what to do if you've been caught in a riptide. I've never personally been caught in a riptide. This is the goal of my life not to be. I've managed it so far. But I'm going to give you an absolutely free tutorial on riptides. This may save your life one day. Here's what the, all the tutorials say about riptides. If you realize you're caught in one, right, you're being swept out to the ocean. You are not supposed to fight against it, which goes against every instinct in our body. Right? When, we, when we feel we're being pulled out, we've got to get back to the ocean. Right? The beach is getting smaller and smaller, and our kids are waving at Dad, and he's way out there. Like every instinct is, I've got to get back. Riptide tutorial says, no, you just got to ride it out. You've got to pick up your feet. If you've got a flotation device, hang on. Don't expend all of your energy fighting against the riptide, because that's how people drown. Right? They fight against it, fight against it, and then they're out of energy and they're taken under. So in a riptide, you're just supposed to go with the current. And at some point, you know, hopefully before you get to China, it's going to spit you out. It's going to be done. You're going to get out so far and then the current is not going to be running anymore under you. And at that point, you're supposed to swim parallel to the beach so you don't swim back into the riptide. You swim parallel to the beach, and then you swim back up to the beach. There you go. I just saved your life, all right? Now, John says that may work with riptides. That doesn't work with the current of this world. You, you can't just ride out what this world's selling you. You can't just pick up your feet and float along and lay on your back and just wait because the current of this world is never going to let you go once you're in it. It's never going to let you go. It's going to keep taking you farther and farther away from the things of God. It's going to take you farther and farther away from the person you're supposed to be. You can't just ride this out. I know this doesn't work in riptides, but when it comes to the current of this world, John says you've got to fight against that every day. You've got to work against this tug in your heart. If not, you will find yourself far from the things of God. And not only that, verse 17, he writes, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Here's, here's part of the dangers of that current, is that you're going to ride it and ride it and ride it, and there's not going to be a payoff like you think there is. John says it passes away. It's empty. It's nothing. 
and your heart tells you it's something, your heart tells you to pursue it, your heart tells you everything's going to be okay, and this thing drags you away from God, and then it's done. It's not eternal. It has no value. Why would we step into a current? Why would we ride out a current that's going to leave us empty? And John's begging us. You've got to get away from that. You've got to get away from anything that's leading you away from God and what He desires for your life. There's another problem. One problem is there's this current that's always pulling us. Here's the other problem, verse 18. Dear children... This is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And we've experienced John sometimes kind of hard to follow, uh, back and forth making his point. There's some buzzwords for us in this little passage, right? As, as church people, it's kind of some buzzwords, probably your ears perked up just a little bit. So let me clarify a couple of things. John says, again, he's writing like 80, 90 uh, AD, in very end of the first century. And John says, this is the last hour. We, we would call it the end times, maybe, right? This is it. This is the last hour. We're down to the wire here. And then you go, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Like, how down to the wire was he? Uh, for John and, and for the writers of the Bible, the last hour, the end times, really, was the whole period between when Jesus went back to heaven. Right? He dies, he rises again, he spends time on earth, and he goes back to heaven. So that started the end times that we talk about. That started the end times. And they will culminate with Jesus' return and God making a new heaven and a new earth. All right? that, that is, in general terms, that is the end times. And that's what John is saying. We're in that period. We're in that last hour. And during that period of time, however long it lasts, there will be increased seasons of tension and conflict, and then there will be decreased seasons of, of conflict. There, there will be increased seasons of of global drama and then there will be decreased seasons and yes the, the Bible says there will, there will definitely be an increase of that at the very end the, the problem is as, as church people religious people Christian people we sometimes try to guess which one we're in right and so there's a, there's a big global something conflict a national something and, and somebody says, this is, this is the one. This is it. It's over. It's, I'm telling you, this is the one. It's all about to come to an end. Be very afraid. This is it. And then that one's not it. And then like five years later, same person says, wrong about the last one, but this is it. This is the one. Absolutely, this is it. Be afraid. Be very afraid. This is the one. And then that one's not it. And it, 10 years later, we're doing the same. Sometimes Christians are serial predictors of the end. Right? We just keep doing it over and this is it. I'm telling you, this is it. Because it gives us some power. It makes people afraid. And so there's power when you make people afraid. 2,000 years ago, John was saying, we're in it. Whatever it is. We're in it. 
And, and here, here's what you need to know. You need to know two things. The whole time it is going on, the, the whole period of the end times, the world's going to be trying to suck you away from God. Every day of your life, the world's going to be trying to pull you away from God. And the whole time we're in the end times, there are going to be people saying, yeah, that's the right thing. Go ahead and do that. There are going to be voices that speak not the truth to you. They speak a lie to you. They, they affirm you being in that current. There are going to be voices that sound religious. John calls them anti-Christ. They're, they're teaching against the truth of what Jesus said. And John said there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of people saying things that aren't true. And so you need to be on guard because not only is the world trying to sweep you away, but there are voices that are trying to mislead you about what God actually said. There are people who rise to prominence for various reasons. Sometimes it's because they sound really confident. And a lot of people are drawn to really confident sounding people. Have you noticed this? And most of us aren't confident, and so, so if somebody is confident, we go, oh, well, they must know what they're talking about. And we see this in the church. We see this in religion all the time. People are confident. I know it. They're dogmatic. Yes, I know it. And they, this crowd shows up, even though what they're saying isn't really the truth. John says, be on guard about that. So some people attract a crowd because they're really good speakers, or we like the way they communicate. Some people draw a crowd because they hate the same people that somebody else hates. And so that person goes, oh, yeah, I hate them too. I'm with you. Johnson, you've got to be real careful the voices you listen to. The outside people who are speaking into your heart because they too will become a part of this current that's trying to lead you away. One author I read this week I said it this way, there are occasionally those who step forward with alluring influence and erroneous teaching and they gain a following. This is, this is the truth. There are people who step forward with alluring influence. They sound like they know what they're talking about. They maybe even quote the Bible. They talk about God, but they're not teaching what's true. And they gain a following. People show up. People keep coming back. And John is pleading with that group of churches and pleading with us, in a sense, well, pay attention to who you're listening to. Pay to have, have discernment as to the voices that are speaking into your life. At, at one point, he says, you don't need a teacher. Right? You don't need a teacher. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go to church or that I shouldn't have a job. He doesn't mean that. He's saying... All these extra people who are trying to put stuff in your head, you got to block them out. People are trying to draw you into debates and discussions that, that aren't about what's eternal and aren't about what really matters. you, you got to clear the deck. you you got to get that out so that you can zero in on what's true, so that your life will be built on what's true. And John had this... He had this wonderful, wonderfully hopeful perspective on the people he was writing to. It had this wonderfully positive thought. He's not just warning them. Be careful, be careful, be careful. John has this hopeful expectation that they really do know the truth. This is verse 20 of chapter 2. 
After giving this warning, John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. You know it. I know it's in there. You've heard it. You've accepted it. I know you know it. All of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Yeah, you're kind of questioning some things. You're caught in this fog and and you're starting to listen to voices maybe you shouldn't listen to, but if you would just push those out, I know way down in your heart, you know the truth of Jesus. You know this is what matters. You know this is what's the key to eternity. You know it. It's in there. I just need you to come back to what's true. Push back all the things that are trying to distract you and come back to Jesus. You know that it's true. He says just a little bit uh, later on, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Look, hang on to the truth. Don't keep adding stuff to the truth. You just come back to the, the pure truth of Jesus and his teaching. Let it remain in you. It can be kind of confusing, but verses 12 through 14, if you don't get distracted by the labels that he uses, uh, John is just saying, look, the whole reason I'm writing this is because your sins have been forgiven. I know you're followers of Jesus. This is true of you because you know him who's from the beginning, because you've overcome the evil one. You know the Father. You know him who's from the beginning. You're strong. The word of God lives in you. John has this wonderful, hopeful perspective that, look, I know some things are rattling you. You're starting to listen to people you shouldn't be listening to, but I know the Word of God lives in you. I know you know the truth. And maybe you're running with some people right now who are taking you away from the truth, but you know what it is. You know what the truth is. You know how God has called you to live. And and I would say to us, we, we live in crazy times, right? How many times can I say that? We live just, this is just the weirdest time that we're, we're living. And in spite of all this stuff that's swirling out, in the, everything that's in the current of the world, can, can we just know the truth of Jesus and eternity and that Christ came, lived and died and rose again to be our Savior, to free us from our sins, to give a relationship to our Heavenly Father. He's communicated truth in His Word. Can we just not get dragged into every argument that's happening in our world and in our culture right now? And can we just remain in the truth? Maybe for some of you that are here, maybe for some of you who are online, um, the, the last couple of years, for, for whatever reasons... For whatever reasons, you've just drifted to kind of the fringes of spiritual life. You've drifted to the fringe of of church commitment, of of following Jesus, of being in the Word. You've you've just kind of drifted to that that side of life. And I want to say what John says to you. Come on, you know the truth. You know who God's called you to be. You, you know the commitment he's called out of your life. You, you know, you remember, because there was a time it was true of you, you know what it's like to be fully surrendered to the Lord. And John would say to you, and I would say to you, let's be that person again. 
let's come back to what's true we sang a song I don't know if you sang it or you just listened I, I don't know if you meant it when you sang it but we sang the last song we sang you said I just want you Jesus I just want you nothing else I just want you and that's what John is trying to bring us back to that if Jesus could be all to us it would make such a difference it would change us in so many ways I just want you nothing else not all these other things not all these other pursuits I just want you I hope that's what you want would you pray with me just every eye closed nobody looking around this is just you and God we're not going to sing a song at the end today like we normally do in the quietness of this moment can you just look at your life just your life and is there any area where you're just in a current and you know this isn't moving you towards God this isn't bringing you to truth are there any voices you're listening to any darkness that you're, you're giving access into your life to, to pull you farther and farther away from God R right now between you and God would you clear that up you say God I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of that I'm going to move away from that because I just want you maybe you're not a believer today maybe you've thought about Jesus maybe he hasn't been on your mind at all and God loves you so much that he would give his son for you that Jesus would come and die in our place he'd rise again he'd defeat death and sin so that we could have a relationship with our father and you just have to trust him you have to put your faith in him if you haven't done that this is the day this is the moment this is the now This world's going to try to sweep you farther away from him at every stage and every moment of your life. Come back to what's true. God, work in our hearts today. Work across this room. We're all swimming against a tide that wants to pull us far from you. It uses our own affections against us. What we see, what we feel our own selfishness. He uses all of that against us to pull us away from you. Help us, help us to fight. Help us to move closer to you. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to be the ones who can say, we just want you, nothing else. At the end of the day, we want Jesus. We want to walk with him. We want to be like him. We want to love like him. We just want him. I pray for that person that has drifted far. They've drifted far. And maybe it hasn't even been until this moment that they really see how far from the shore they've been pulled. Help them to come back to you. Help them to come back to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.